I'm reminded of someone who said this to me just two weeks ago. He says, every Sunday is an opportunity for us to change. Because every time where we open God's Word together, the Lord's Word gives us another chance to know Him better and to respond better. So shall we pray uh, and ask God to help us? Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, by your breath, refresh us and strengthen us. Open up our minds and our hearts that we may hear your word, be engaged with your word, and to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. What do you say when you have a Christian friend who is convinced that he or she is too weak to change, too unchristian to go to God, too condemned to be forgiven. What do you say if you have a Christian friend like that? Someone who was really messed up by repeated sin once said this, God must be too tired to hear the repeated prayers that he has stopped listening. God must be too tired to hear the prayers that I repeat all the time, the same thing, that he stops listening. Have you ever struggled with sin and wonder if you are truly saved? Maybe we have, or maybe we are too busy in our life right now to think about that question. But perhaps the words of Paul in Romans 7:24 might come at some point in our lives. Paul said in Romans 7 verse 24, What a wretched man I am. These words may resonate with us when we struggle, perhaps with habitual sin. Or perhaps we behave like Jekyll and Hyde. We are like Jekyll, we are behaving good on Sunday, but on Monday to Friday, don't look at my horns in the office. Right? It's, um, it's very different. Perhaps we lose our temper yet again on the husband and wife that we love, on the children that it's our flesh and blood. Or perhaps, as we examine the decades of our Christian life, we find that we still sin. Perhaps discontent, envy, grumpiness, sharp tongue, you, you name it. There will be occasions in our life that Paul's words in 7.24 resonate, what a wretched person I am. Who can save me? But it is here where Paul that Paul brings up the most assuring words Christians need to hear in order that we can be certain of our salvation and to fight sin. Paul says in Romans 8.1, look at it, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this morning's passage is all about Christians' assurance when confronting our sinful nature. God gives us His assurance through His Spirit and uh, it's explained in three ways. In fact, look at verse 1 to 17. It can be broken up into three parts. This passage reveals our assurance that it can be found in our new position in the Spirit, which is from verse 1 to verse 4. Our Christian assurance can be found in our new condition, which is from verse 5 to verse 11. And finally, our Christian assurance can be found in our new obligation in the Spirit, verse 12 verse 17. We'll look at it um, one at a time. But let's begin with um, our new position in the Spirit, verse 1 to 4. In fact, look at Romans 8, if you have your Bible open or on the screen. Verse 
1 and 2 with me as I read it for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is what is happening here. When we come to believe in Jesus, we become those who are in Jesus and we are united with Christ. And at this point, the Spirit Himself who gives life comes and lives in us and sets us free from sin and death. There is a decisive change in our position from the condemned to the not condemned, to the slave of sin and death, to be free from sin and death. There is a very decisive change in our position when we become Christians. And those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned because the Spirit who gives life has set us free. Now it's important we need to remember exactly who made our new position possible in order to be sure of our position of not condemned even on the worst day of our Christian journey. We need to know who has made this possible so that the assurance of not condemned remains true even on the worst day of our Christian journey. So let's look at verse 3 and 4 to be reminded who made our new position possible and what actually happened. So look at verse 3 with me. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh of sin to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. So the the answer, what's the answer to the question? Who made this possible? God. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what is actually happening, right? That the law is good. We see the goodness of the law. But our flesh, our sinful nature is unable to keep the law. So we look helplessly at law and look, and law look powerlessly at us. The law is like the MRI in the doctor's room, right? Uh, we have taken that. The MRI presents helplessly as they look and present a serious heart disease that a heart pacer cannot help. We are just waiting to die. The law was powerless to do good to us because it's weakened by the disease because of who we are. The law is good, but it can't do anything. It's like the MRI. But just when all our hope is about to be lost, someone enters the picture. God enters the picture. And along with Him, He brought His own Son. God knows the seriousness of the problem. He knows someone has to die. But when He comes in, He says, it will not be you. His Son is going to take our death and give us life. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh of sin. That is, God comes in He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, in our world in the likeness of our human weakness. That Christ comes in, He can be tempted, He can suffer, and He can even die. That's what God did. And what did He do it for? To be a sin offering. 
And Jesus, in becoming like us, he willingly takes our place to pay for the penalty of sin. Jesus dies as one without his own sin, but fully drenched with our sins. You know, the readers of Romans are very familiar with sin offering because it's part of the law. In Leviticus 4, the priest takes a perfect lamb, no defects, places it on the altar, and the sins of God's people are supposed to be placed on the lamb, and the lamb is killed for the sins of God's people. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. Verse 3 continues, And so he, who is God, condemns sin in the flesh. So God condemns sin in the flesh of Christ when he died on the cross. And the Spirit set us free by what Christ has done. And verse 4 tells us Christ died in order that we can finally meet the righteous requirement of the law. And this righteous requirement that we finally meet is not because of the way we live according to the sinful nature, but because of the Spirit who is now in us, that we have this righteous requirement. And this is totally the work of God. And we are no longer condemned. So this is the gospel message, isn't it? The gospel summary that Christ died on the cross for sinners like us. Our sin goes to Him. And is condemned on the cross. His righteousness comes to us and we are set free from sin and death. And so we who are in Christ Jesus receive our new position in the Spirit. And that position is no condemnation. I'd like to just pause here and to ask a question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not, if there's anyone here who is not, I pray that you would, that you would take your sinful and dying heart and present it to God. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask Him to forgive us for being our own King and ask Jesus to be our King, our rescuer, and Jesus will do it. But now, if you and I are already Christians or already in Christ, then I pray that this position of new, no condemnation sits very, very securely in us. No, if and when we sin, I pray that we will humbly and in godly sorrow come to God for forgiveness. But I pray that we will never let ourselves fall into total despair as a Christian, even on the worst day. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So this is our new position in Christ. Now there's a second layer to our Christian assurance and that is found in our new and changed condition in, our, in the Spirit. Look at verse 5 to verse 11. This is our new condition in the Spirit. But bef- between that whole chunk, I want to focus on verse 9 first, so that the rest of 5 to 11 is actually quite clear for us. Let me read verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, verse 9, if you look at it carefully, follow verse 9 with me carefully, it's telling us there are two kinds of person: The person without the Spirit, the person and the person with the Spirit. Now, notice verse 9 is not telling us that there's a, 
as a Christian, we can kind of live and toggle between these two, and we can jump today, we are like the sinful nature, tomorrow we jump like the spirit. Um, because if we read that from verse 5 to 11, that's going to be confusing. What it's telling us is that there are people who belong to the spirit, and there are people who belong to the sinful nature. It's telling us that if we have the spirit of God, which is also the spirit of Christ, notice the verse, if we have the Spirit in us, we belong to Christ and we are in the realm of the Spirit. However, if somebody, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God or Spirit of Christ, the person does not belong to Christ and the person remains in the realm of sinful nature or the realm of flesh. So if we get this clear and we look at verse 5 to 11, we will not misunderstand this to be kind of a Christian jumping in between two nature and very unassured of who we are and how saved we are. Okay, If you get that, uh, we can look at verse 5 to 11. So verse 5 to 11, as I said, is explaining the contrast between a person with the Spirit and the person without the Spirit. So look at the first, at the person without the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh or in a better translation, perhaps a sinful nature, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. When the person does not have the spirit, his or her mindset is totally loyal to the sinful nature. The mindset here, we are, it's not just about thinking, it's about our affections, our will, the whole being. Our whole being is loyal to the sinful nature. The mindset Loyal to the sinful nature controls how a person relates to everything, how we relate to everyone around us. And how we relate to this person depends on whether this person is nice to me, whether this person is useful to me, and I'll have more value on this relationship. Or we start to look crucially at how we look externally, because when we look beautiful, when we look good, people are more attracted to us, and it's, it's good for us. And we start, our mindset is all surrounded by how we uh, are being uh, well uh, received. In fact, the mind that is loyal to sinful nature starts to create God or gods around us. We start to create gods that can meet our needs. The gods are not created to be worshipped. The gods are created to meet our needs. We give them something, a chicken, a, 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 a promise uh, or something. And uh, God give us something back, kind of we scratch each other's back, right? And they are like the gods or the genies, the genie gods of fortune, of uh, marriage, of, of wealth, all kinds of gods that you see around the world. They are created not to be served, but to serve us, our sinful nature. Verse 6 tells us that such a person whose mind is ruled by the sinful nature only has death as his or her destiny. A person whose mind is ruled by the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Verse 7. A mind that is loyal to the sinful nature will always take side with sin and not with God. It is not capable to be God-centered. That's why verse 8 says, those who are in the realm of the sinful nature cannot please God. So this is the condition of a person who does not have God's Spirit in him or her. But however, if we are in Christ and we have His Spirit in us, then we have a very different and totally new condition in us. Look at the kind of condition, those who are in Christ. 
Look at verse 5 to 11 as we examine this. Verse 5 says, Those with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Those who are in Christ Jesus, we will start to recognize this new mind. Our mind here includes our thinking, our will, our affection, our very being. Our mind wants to please God. That is what the Spirit desires. Now, the reality is we may struggle in times, right, to, to, to really please God. In fact, we may struggle many times in one day to please God. But we want to please God. And we are grieved when we go in the opposite direction. A person who has the Spirit of God is grieved when he goes in the opposite direction. We want to please God not because He's a genie, but because He's our God and we belong to Him and we love Him. Um, that makes Christian lives harder. But it makes us much richer. Those sins that used to make us happy when we are in the sinful nature becomes terrible. And when we sin and we fall into it, it leaves a very bitter taste in our life. But the holiness that looks like foolishness to people becomes very attractive to us. Uh, some of us may end up choosing to um, give up a promotion to spend more time with our wife, our kids for ministry. Some of us may choose not to take up a better job um, so that our integrity is intact. Some of us may choose to be ostracized because we choose not to gossip. Some of us may take a long time before we make a decision for God, but it is attractive to us. Some of us may give up holidays or finances to go to Batam, to go to somewhere or to give our finances to persecuted churches when our friends are cruising in the ocean of nowhere. And people say, what foolish people. But to us, that is attractive. To us, that is what uh, makes us joyful because the other one is not as attractive anymore. We want what the Spirit desires, and that is to please God. Do you and I recognize this new condition in the Spirit in us, that we desire to please God? I'm not saying we are perfect, because we are not. But I'm saying, do we have this desire? Does it change that our mindsets have changed? Because verse 5 says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And verse 6, look at verse 6. The mind ruled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those who are in Christ, those who are the Spirit, have life in Christ and have peace with God. So the second layer of our Christian assurance comes from us having a new condition in the Spirit. And this condition is a changed mindset. It's a changed being that from desiring the sinful nature, we, we long for God, we long to please God. But there's just this one sneaky question when we start to think about this as our, as our conditions. Well, if we so desire to please God, how come we sometimes fail? That, that is kind of a struggle, right? If we please God, we want to please God, why do we sometimes fail? I, su- I suggest that there might be a hint of answer from verse 10 to 11 that you have to look at it with me. Why do we sometimes fail even though we really desire to please God? And the answer is found in verse 10 to 11. Our minds, although are set on what the Spirit desires, we are living in a now and not yet condition. We are, now li- we are living in a now and not yet condition. We are now saved. We are, we are not fully and completely saved. We are made new, 
But our transformation is not complete yet. Look at verse 10b. Though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life. So the effects of sin, we experience it every day. Those with backache, rheumatism, you, you feel that every morning when you wake up. Our body is actually still decaying and will eventually die. Our current body needs to give way to the perfect body in the future. But until then, we'll still be fighting against the voice of our ex-master sin. Verse 11, it talks about our future this way. Look at verse 11. A time will come when God will give us a new body because we have His Spirit in us. In fact, let me read verse 11 to see this is what God is planning to give us in the future so that we know where we are today. Verse 11, And if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, the tension that we have, our new condition in spirit, that's our mindset that desires God, and sin is still in tension, but it will be fully removed when we finally receive our new resurrected body. But nevertheless, here's the important assurance that we now have, that our new condition in spirit, our minds and our desires have changed. And that is what Christ has given us in the Spirit. And this brings us to the third and final layer of our Christian assurance, and that is our new obligation in the Spirit. Look at verse 12 and verse 13 with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now on the surface, right, when we think about having a new obligation gives us assurance, it's kind of an awkward thing, right? Because if there's a command we need to obey, uh, if we fail, then kind of we get a bit shaky with uh, how safe we are. After all, we, we are people that's not too reliable from experience, isn't it? But I think the assurance even in this obligation for us to obey, is found in the three words there in this verse. Look at it. By the Spirit. What is happening when we have the Spirit? The Spirit not only gives us that position to be assured, not only gives us a new condition that our minds start to desire God, He is is actively involved in us to change us as we engage with sin. Look at verse 13. By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And verse 14, look on. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There are very two active actions of the Spirit here. If you look at verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 tells us the Spirit is leading us away from sin. And verse 14 tells us the Spirit is leading us to God. And not just to God, to one we can call Abba, Father. And there is the adoption of sonship, which means that we receive inheritance from God. But that is in verse 17. I want to draw us to a very important point in verse 15. Look at verse 15. What the Spirit is drawing us to do as we engage in putting sin to death 
and living for Christ. Look at what the Spirit is doing in verse 15. It is just amazing. Look at 15. The Spirit lead us to cry out to God as Abba, Father. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the words Abba, Father? What comes to your mind? Let me read to you the event in the New Testament where these two words came out. And then we will come back to Romans 8, um, 15. Let me read Mark 14, 32 to 36 for us. Jesus and his 11 disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. This is where these two words came from. As we keep this passage of Mark open and we think back to Romans 8.15, let me ask us this question. What is the Spirit trying to do when He calls us to cry out to God as Abba, Father? As our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He cries out to God, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you, but not my will, but yours be done. Well, there's, well, there's absolutely a, a huge difference between this Christ and us. There is a very similar intention in both. Look at it. Jesus in saying to Abba, Father, he's saying, this is really, really difficult. But not my will. Your will be done, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, do we see what the Spirit is doing to us when instead of just leaving us in the peace of fighting for sin, he's drawing us out and leading us to cry out to God. In the midst of our struggle against sin, in the midst of our struggle to please God, in our midst where we feel too overwhelmed, and sometimes, or at some point, to the point of despair, the Spirit does not lead us to despair. The Spirit leads us to God and asks us to cry to God as Abba Father. The one that could only say that is Christ. But the Spirit says, you come to the Father and cry to Him. You know why? Because our new conditions say, God, I want to obey you. I want to, I want to love you. I keep feeling, God, I keep feeling it's so hard. How long, oh Lord, before you come that I have a new body? How long, oh God, before I can be finally set free from the sins in our life? And the reason is, God, I do not want to just go on with sin. I want your will. And the Spirit says, Cry out to your Abba Father. I want to bring out the even more beautiful thing to this. I don't know if you've experienced this before in your life, where you struggle with sin because you want to please God. 
and Spirit says, we may not even have read this passage, but we cry to God, God, please help me. Father, please help me. And the Spirit has something beautiful for us. Look at verse 15. He first tells us this, the Word of God, and verse 16 says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You know how hard it is to fight sin, but as the Spirit works with our spirit, as we cry to God, the Spirit testifies to our spirit, you are talking to your Father. There is no condemnation in this relationship. And look at verse 17. We start to recognize what the Spirit is preparing for us. Verse 17, look at it closely. He's preparing us to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The Spirit is changing us to be like Christ. It looks terrible. It looks difficult. It doesn't look like it. But He is changing us to be like Christ, to be co-heirs with Christ. And if we understood what the Spirit is changing us, and the rest, then the rest of verse 17 becomes a privilege that Christians alone can share. Look at what the rest of 17 says. We are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. Sharing Christ's suffering becomes a privilege because the Spirit is engaging us for the future glory as a co-heir of Christ. What kind of amazing fellowship we have in the Spirit. What kind of gracious Lord Jesus Christ to be co-heirs with us. And what a loving God we have for sinners like us to say, You call me Abba Father. As we share in the Lord's suffering, we will also share in His glory. On that day when God Himself, who raised Christ from the dead, will come and give us the new resurrected body and share the inheritance of Christ. What an amazing God. What an amazing work the Spirit is doing in us. If there's any of us here who are not yet in Christ, my plea for you is that you will come to Him. That you will come to Christ and say, I do not want to be king in my life anymore. You be my king. You be my rescuer. And Christ will do it. And His Spirit will come to us. But dear brothers and sisters, if we are already in Christ, then great is our assurance even today. We are assured that we are not condemned in our new position. We are assured of our new mind of desiring God in our new condition. And we are assured that suffering comes before the glory in this new obligation. Shall we pray? Abba, Father, thank you that we can cry out to you the way that your own Son cries out to you. Thank you for the assurance that we will not, will not be condemned anymore because of the cross. We thank you that we have been changed in our minds, our hearts, 
that although we are struggling, but our desires are now for you, that we want to love you and we want to serve you because you are our God. And we thank you even as we struggle to put to death the misdeeds of our body, to put to death the wrongs in our life, even as we struggle hard, we thank you that your Spirit draws us to you instead of despair, to call us, call out to you as Abba Father, so that we will look on to the glory that you have prepared for us to share as co-heir in Christ. For those of us, Father, who have not known you yet, or who are still working it through, we pray that your Spirit will work in our lives so that we can see clearly that there's nothing at the end of the road of sinful nature but death. But there's everything ready for us to be in the full relationship with you in the realm of the Spirit. Amen.